And now we'll continue with our scripture reading for tonight, which is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. So listen for and hear the word of the Lord. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And a woman in the city who was a sinner, having learned that he was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. She stood behind him at his feet weeping and began to bathe his feet with her tears and to dry them with her hair. Then she continued kissing his feet and anointing them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Jesus spoke to him and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he replied, speak. A certain creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debts for both of them. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the greater debt. And Jesus said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. Hence, she has shown great love. But the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. Then he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. But those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Connie. Will you join me in a moment of prayer? Good and gracious God, may your spirit be sent into this space so that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts might be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, since I knew uh, that I was going to be preaching on forgiveness this week, I posed a question last Thursday at uh, our Theology on Tap gathering, our young adult gathering that happens once a month usually. And it was a small group, but I posed the question anyway, just saying, you know, what does forgiveness mean to you? What does forgiveness through the lens of Jesus and Scripture, what would it look like today, and what might it sound like in a sermon? 
And one person who uh, I won't name, but who is in the room, uh, spoke up and suggested the possibility that, Alan, you could preach on forgiveness by just not writing a sermon this week, getting up here now, just allowing for some silence, sitting back down, and asking for your forgiveness. Well, I decided uh, not to go that route. But the hypothetical itself, in light of the passage that Connie just read for us from Luke, the hypothetical in that passage seemed to open a window of sorts for us to step in to the full magnitude of the kind of forgiveness Jesus teaches and the kind of forgiveness that we pray for and that we pray to be about each week when we pray the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You know, our passage tonight describes a scene that, uh, for those of you in the room who maybe host dinner parties from time to time, this is a scene that is a nightmarish situation for a dinner party. This is what keeps you up at night before you have people over to your house, something like what happens in this passage. Because here is Jesus invited to a meal with a Pharisee named Simon. And being a Pharisee, Simon no doubt already has some doubts about Jesus and his real status as a prophet. He's not so sure, but he's curious enough to invite Jesus to his house for a dinner. And Jesus is a gracious fellow. And so, of course, he accepts the invitation and he comes to Simon's house and he sits there around the table with the other guests. And so it's pretty normal up to this point. But then things get a little bit weird because here comes this woman, totally uninvited. She just walks in right off the street. And not only is she a woman who's uninvited and presumably unrelated to anyone around the table, but the text tells us she's a sinful woman. I think it might even say she's a very sinful woman. And here she comes, and she sits down before Jesus, and she lowers her head, and she begins to weep. And the tears fall onto Jesus' feet, and they collect up some of that dirt and the dust from walking all the way to this house for this dinner. And she takes her long, tangled hair, and she wipes them. And once they're clean, she pulls out her alabaster jar, and she uses the ointment to rub into Jesus' feet. To us today, I think this is an even more odd aspect of an already odd scene. And what makes it even stranger is the text up until this point doesn't really say that there's much dialogue happening around the table. So while all this is happening, I sort of imagine the guests there seated with mouths wide open, and they're slowly putting food in while they're scanning the table, looking for familiar looks of utter horror on the other guests' faces. And then, finally, after a while, the host, Simon the Pharisee, speaks up. And I imagine, and Connie, I think you capture this in your reading, I sort of imagine old Simon having a hint of arrogance in his voice. Well, my suspicions are finally confirmed. Look at this woman, this sinful woman, beside Jesus. You know, if he was a real prophet, he would know who this woman is. And Jesus, still sitting there, looking down at the woman, finally speaks up. And he says, Simon, 
I want to tell you a story. I'm not too good with parsing parables, like the one that Jesus then goes into. I really, honestly, they just usually end up confusing the daylights out of me. And I get confused when I'm looking at the different metaphors from every angle, trying to figure it out. But when Jesus speaks here, he tells a story that's full of language that I think translates quite clearly into our lives today. When Jesus begins to speak, he speaks of material debts. He speaks of human sin. And he speaks of forgiveness. Simon, he says, I have something to say to you. I want to tell you a story. A story about a God of grace. A story about God who forgives. Have you all ever noticed how we start this line of the Lord's Prayer? And this is why I really like this exercise that we've been going through for these five weeks, because we're so used to just praying this prayer without necessarily thinking about it. But when we stop and we look at this particular line of the prayer, have you ever noticed how it begins by praying first for God to forgive us? Forgive us, God, our debts, our trespasses, our sins. In this way, we pray first for forgiveness for the wrongs that God has suffered through us. And it seems a bit backward, I think. In the book, Lord Teach Us, uh, Lord Teach Us which I've referenced several times in this series. It's written by Stanley Hauerwas and Will Willimon. And they write that we, meaning us readers, us prayers, we wish that the prayer said something to God like, teach us to forgive others so that we might also be forgiven. But it doesn't. The prayer knows that we, us humans, would love to conceive of ourselves first as forgivers, that we would that this uh, would leave us in control, and from our great store of righteousness, we could reach out and love to those who had injured and wronged us. But they write no. First, the prayer asks us to ask to be forgiven. It takes us out of control. It means that we are suddenly at the mercy of someone else's account for our lives rather than our own. Friends, when we pray this line of the Lord's Prayer, we acknowledge first that our lives are as out of control as the woman who is weeping at Jesus' feet. We put ourselves literally in a position of powerlessness, of literally sitting before God and relinquishing control. And it's in this place, one that seems so upside down, because, you know, many of us in this room, we're so used to being in control. We're in control at work. We're in control of our family at home. We're in control of our bank accounts. But here in this prayer, it begins by turning it upside down and by placing us beside the very person who sits at Jesus' feet. But it's in this upside-down place that we most fully encounter God's mercy and forgiveness. Simon, Jesus says, I want to tell you a story. There was a person once who gave a gift to a friend of a friend, an acquaintance, really. And the person receiving the gift felt a bit shy at first about accepting this unexpected present from someone that they didn't even really know that well. But upon opening it, they realized that this was something they really wanted. This was a gift that now that it's here in front of, a, in front of them, they know they just needed, and they needed to keep. Ah, but surely the person who gave them this gift 
wants something in return. After all, we all know the rules of gift giving. We know that we are in debt once someone gives us a gift. And so this gift receiver was now down a point in the game and they needed to level the playing field by reciprocating somehow. But upon further inquiry, they find that this gift giver asks for nothing in return. And quickly they realize that there was nothing, nor is there ever anything, that they could possibly give that would ever match this gift. Jesus is God's gift of forgiveness to the world. Amen? And yet God asks for nothing in return. And it's frustrating for us. It's frustrating for me to hear that story. Because it's an awkward ending. It's an awkward way to be in a relationship. We hate to be the people who show up to the gift exchange without a gift. We want to figure out what we could possibly do or give to make us worthy, to bring us out of debt with God. It's really a feeling of being out of control. And yet it is in this condition, it's in this awkward in-between that we find ourselves each Sunday when we pray Forgive us our debts, because there are many. But then again, who better to respond with forgiveness than those who have been forgiven? And so Jesus says, Simon, I want to tell you a story. There's a mother in Minneapolis, Minnesota, named Mary Johnson. And she has a son named Oshea Israel. Now, Mary and Oshea's mother-son relationship is a little different than most. You see, in 1993, Mary's biological son, Laramian, was gunned down after a fight at a party got out of control. And the person who the police arrested and charged with uh, Laramian's killing was a 16-year-old boy named Oshea Israel. Oshea was arrested, he was tried, and he was found guilty, and he was sent to Stillwater Prison in Minnesota. And towards the end of O'Shea's sentence, Mary went to go visit him there in prison. The last time she had seen him was at his trial. And she writes about how when she went to go visit him, she wanted nothing more than to hurt him. Just like he hurt her all those years ago. She says that when she got there, she wanted to finally act on those visceral feelings of pain and grief that she had felt during the trial. But she talks about how when she sat down to meet with the person who murdered, who murdered her son, she realized that he was no longer the teenage boy who she had hated for so long. He was a grown man. And so they visited. And Mary told O'Shea about the son that he had killed. And O'Shea told Mary about his life. And when their time was over, that first visit, they hugged. And Mary says how in that embrace, she instantly knew that all that anger, all that animosity, all that stuff that she had been holding in her heart for 12 years towards O'Shea, she knew it was over. She says to O'Shea in an interview that in that moment, in that embrace, I had totally forgiven you. Mary now considers O'Shea to be her son. 
He was released from prison in 2005, and they now live right next door to each other. Literally, their doors share the same porch. And Mary talks about how even though she never got to see Laramian graduate from high school or be married, how she now looks forward to experiencing those things with her new son. Forgive us our debts so that we may forgive our debtors. Friends, as a person and as a people who have been forgiven, what are the debts that you are called now to forgive? Mary and O'Shea's story is one of divine forgiveness. And you know, I think if Mary was here and she stood up here today, she would not tell you that the pain that she feels at the loss of her son is any less now than it was all those years ago. And that's okay, though. Because Jesus, in commanding us to forgive, is not asking us to forget the pain of the injustices and the sins and the harm that others have done to us and to those we love. We pray for God's help because it is not easy. But in doing so, in following that command to forgive as we have forgiven, Jesus invites us to join in with the work of the gospel story. A story that, like our passage tonight, at times seems too absurd to be true, but when we practice forgiveness, we come to know that it is true. We know it's true because we begin to see in our own lives how when we offer forgiveness, we see stories where a mundane dinner party becomes an incredible illustration for God's abounding grace. When we offer forgiveness, we begin to see the story where a woman cut off, powerless, and desperate is restored to community. When we offer forgiveness, we join in with the story where the murder of a son turns into a relationship that says that war and violence never have the last word. When we forgive others as we have been forgiven, we do the radical work of ushering in the kingdom of God. We talked about this several weeks ago. We pray, your kingdom come. And when we offer forgiveness, and we pray that line, and we pray for help in offering the forgiveness that God has offered to us, we admit with our very lives that God is in control. And that we are willing to be swept up in the narrative that God is authoring. Simon, I want to tell you a story. A story about a God of grace. I want to tell you a story about a God whose mercies never cease. I want to tell you a story about a God who forgives. Simon, I want to tell you a story that is still being written today. Amen.